0: Due to the graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of suicide, murder, and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. In
1: 1848, the state of Tennessee decided that something had to be done with Meriwether Lewis's gravesite. The famed explorer had been dead for nearly 40 years, but his body was still buried in a simple spot near where he allegedly shot himself in 1809.
0: It was finally time to give Lewis the monument he deserved, so they sent a group of men down to his burial site, about 72 miles outside of Nashville, to build it.
1: But first, the Tennessee government wanted to be sure that they had the right grave, so the men grabbed their shovels and started to dig.
0: When they reached the coffin, they knew it was Lewis's immediately. The man who had built the coffin recognized his old nails. But they needed to be sure the body matched, so they cracked the lid and peered inside. That's when they noticed something strange.
1: Allegedly, the men who saw Lewis's remains said the explorer's skull had a bullet hole in the back of his head, not the front
0: it didn't look like suicide at all. It looked like murder. This is Unsolved Murder's True Crime Stories, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Carter Roy.
1: And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. Every Tuesday, we dive into the world of a real unsolved murder and try to solve the case. You can find episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: This is our final episode on the mysterious death of Meriwether Lewis. Last week, we covered Lewis and Clark's Western Expedition. This week, we'll dive into the dark aftermath of their journey and the centuries of theories about Lewis's
2: death.
1: We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us.
2: This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be.
1: On September 23rd, 1806, 32-year-old Meriwether Lewis arrived back in Missouri after his nearly two-and-a-half-year expedition to the Pacific Ocean. The first thing he did was mail a letter. In it, he excitedly told President Thomas Jefferson that he was alive, and his two-and-a-half-year journey had been a success.
0: Well, Almost. Lewis opened his note by saying that he had not found Jefferson's fabled waterway connecting the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans. The Northwest Passage had turned out to be a myth. But he'd crossed the Rocky Mountains and ventured farther west across the continent than any American before, and he had plenty to show for it.
3: Sir, it is with pleasure that I announce to you the safe arrival of myself and party at 12 o'clock today. In obedience to your orders, we have penetrated the continent of North America to the Pacific Ocean and sufficiently explored the interior of the country. I am very anxious to learn the state of my friends and whether my mother is living. Your obedient and very humble servant, Captain Meriwether Lewis.
1: Lewis ended the letter and sent it off without going into too much detail about his expedition. That would all come later, he thought, when he could speak with Jefferson in person. Right now, it was time to celebrate.
0: Lewis and his co-captain, William Clark, were greeted like conquering heroes in St. Louis. The entire city erupted in parties for the men wherever they went, beginning with an extravagant ball where they raised their glasses in 17 different toasts.
3: And one more to President Jefferson and to these United States. Here. 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 Waiter, another bottle or two. Keep pouring until every glass in this room is brimming
4: over. I think everyone's had plenty, weather.
3: You most of all. Maybe you should have more, William. Help brighten your mood. This is a celebration for us. To us. To, to you. you.
1: It took a month for Lewis's letter to make it to Jefferson. On October 26th, the president wrote his excited reply.
5: I receive, dear sir, with unspeakable joy your letter, announcing the return of yourself, Captain Clark, and your party in good health. The length of time without hearing of you had begun to be felt awfully. I salute you with sincere
0: affection. Jefferson assumed that by that point, Lewis was already on his way, so he mailed the letter to Charlottesville, Virginia, hoping it would beat Lewis there.
1: But Jefferson likely didn't need to worry. Meriwether Lewis was traveling almost as slowly as he had during his Western expedition. It seemed like everywhere he went, people wanted to talk to him, and more often than not,
0: share a few drinks. Meriwether Lewis was happy to oblige.
1: Lewis finally made it to his family's Virginia plantation by mid-December and settled into a welcome reunion with his mother, Lucy. For the next two weeks, Lewis told the woman who first taught him about the outdoors everything he saw during his journey west.
0: There may not have been woolly mammoths on the banks of the upper Missouri, like the rumors said, but there were grizzly bears, prairie dogs, and a new species of woodpecker that would later be named after Lewis himself. He discovered hundreds of new plants and animals, and Lucy likely wanted to hear about each one.
1: But eventually, it was time to leave again. Lewis said goodbye to his family and set off towards his final destination, Washington, D.C. He made it just in time to ring in the new year with President Jefferson.
0: Meriwether Lewis had spent the first day of 1806 camp just a few miles from the Pacific Ocean. Now, here he was, beginning 1807, as an honored guest at the White House.
1: It was a moment Lewis had been waiting for ever since he first set out nearly three years earlier. Jefferson had put all of his trust and faith in Lewis's abilities, and Lewis had proved him right.
3: Spread the map out on the floor. Let's have a look. This here is where the Missouri forked. The men all believed we needed to go this way, but Clark and I, I knew. Astonishing. That brought us all the way to the Great Falls and a hard, month-long dragging our boat across the rocks. And the Northwest Passage? It's, uh... There's
5: no water route, sir. If there were, I would have found it. Ah, very well. W- what came next? I'll be reading it again in your book soon, but I don't think I'll be able to wait that long. Right, right.
0: Soon. Soon. The pair spent the winter together as Jefferson grilled Lewis on everything from Native American relations to geography to the appropriate amount to page member of the Corps of Discovery. Lewis made a case that everyone deserved a raise, and Jefferson didn't need much convincing.
1: On February 28, 1807, Congress approved a bill that gave double wages to every member of Lewis's team, along with a bonus 320 acres to all of them. Lewis and Clark were each awarded 1,600 acres of land and around $7,000. That's roughly $160,000 today.
0: It was a big payday, but Jefferson likely felt they earned more than that for their service, so he had one more reward to give to Meriwether Lewis.
1: That same day, Thomas Jefferson nominated Lewis to be the new governor of the Territory of Louisiana, No other American alive knew that area better than Lewis himself. He had climbed its mountains and drank from its streams and traded with its indigenous peoples. He seemed like the perfect man for the job.
0: But as it turned out, Lewis's new appointment would start his life down a dark path. One that would soon end in his shocking death.
1: Coming up, we'll explore how Lewis's drinking and debt spiraled out of control after his return to civilization.
0: Listeners, if you haven't had a chance to check out the sizzling new podcast, Blind Dating, now's the time to binge what you've missed before catching all new episodes every Wednesday. In this Spotify original from Parcast, we're expanding the places you can meet your match with a twist you'll never see coming. Join host Tara Michelle as she introduces one hopeful single to two strangers in a voice-only call. Through a series of illuminating games and questions, the trio will get to know each other without the distraction of appearances. But once the cameras are turned on, is personality still enough for these strangers to fall head over heels? Or will they say farewell? Connect with new episodes of Blind Dating every Wednesday. You can find and follow Blind Dating free on Spotify or wherever you get your
2: podcasts.
1: And now, back to our story.
0: In the spring of 1807, 32 year old Meriwether Lewis left Washington and headed to Philadelphia. He rented a room in a boarding house, found himself a desk, and got ready to turn his expedition journals into a book.
1: He had plenty of material. Lewis had filled notebook after notebook with observations, thoughts, and drawings during his journey to the Pacific. All he had to do was crack open the journals and start writing.
0: But Lewis didn't even know how to begin, so he found a local publisher, John Conrad, who agreed to help guide him through the process for a price.
4: We'll have to pay an artist for the sketches of flora and fauna, and another to prepare the maps, and then there will be the editor's salary, and the printer's salary, and my salary, of course. Right. Of course. That'll bring us. let's see. Oh! It's even less than I figured. Really? Just shy of an even 5,000. Wonderful.
1: Ah. Wonderful. With Lewis footing the bill, Conrad helped Lewis put together a plan for the book. On June 3, 1807, they released a formal prospectus to drum up interest in the project. It read,
4: This work will be prepared by Captain Meriwether Lewis and will be divided into three volumes. The first containing at least 700 pages, the second and third from four to 500 each, printed on good paper... The volumes will be put to press at as early a period as the author can prepare them for publication.
0: With that, Lewis suddenly had three books to write instead of one. The first two would focus on the journey itself. The third was set to include everything from maps to scientific findings to information about the Native American tribes that Lewis had met along the way.
1: But the journals just sat in his room, untouched. He couldn't seem to start writing.
0: And the pressure was on lewis knew that jefferson was anxious for the manuscript that he'd promised now conrad was bugging him for it as well to make matters worse it seemed like no matter where lewis went in philadelphia someone was always stopping to ask him about the book's progress
4: captain lewis how's it coming oh don't let me hurry you but let me tell you i'm not the only one who can't wait to read it
3: ah well Patience is a virtue. I'm still working on the first manuscript.
1: (laughs) Come inside. Join me for a drink. It would be my pleasure.
3: Thank you, but I should be getting back.
1: Oh, come now. A quick one to get the ink flowing. (laughs) On me.
3: I suppose I can't say no to that.
1: Philadelphia was full of men wanting to buy Lewis a drink, and he rarely turned one down. Lewis spent the summer of 1807 drinking and partying almost every day. He was beloved just about everywhere he went.
0: But when he came home each night, his stack of unopened journals likely taunted him from their place on his desk. Lewis hadn't even started to organize the journals in any narratively meaningful way. He'd also promised Jefferson that he'd leave to start his governing position in July but the months slipped away in a sea of endless toasts with friends, fans, and local ladies.
1: Lewis partied with many different women during his time in Philadelphia, but what he really wanted was a wife. There was only
0: one person who he felt was worthy of marriage. Her name was Letitia Breckenridge, and she wanted nothing to do with him. Lewis
1: first met Letitia in the late fall of 1807, when he and his younger brother were visiting Clark's family in Virginia. She was the daughter of famous general and politician James Breckenridge. Lewis only spent two days with her, but that was all it took for him to know that she was the one. Letitia apparently felt differently.
3: What do you mean she left? Sorry, brother. She headed
4: out with her father this afternoon. I don't think she's coming back. Perhaps you came on a little strong, but there's always her sister. There's no room in my heart left for anyone else, Reuben. Right. Then I suppose... Here, let me fill that up for you.
0: By the end of 1807, Lewis's triumphant return was starting to fade. The days of celebration at the White House were over. Now, he was drinking too much, rejected by the woman of his dreams, and struggling to write his book. His life was spiraling out of his control, and he hadn't even started his new job in politics.
1: On March 8, 1808, Lewis finally made it back to St. Louis, where he dove into his new duties as governor of the territory of Louisiana. Unfortunately, Lewis's abilities as an outdoorsman and explorer didn't translate to politics. He couldn't juggle all the new responsibilities or keep his fellow bureaucrats happy.
0: Lewis was used to leading a team of men who followed his orders. He didn't like negotiating or compromising with his fellow politicians. Besides, he was a man who felt most comfortable camping under the stars on the edge of a distant river. Now he was trapped behind a desk, and the work kept piling up.
1: Even Jefferson seemed to be getting frustrated with him. That summer, Lewis received a letter from his old friend and mentor, checking in on the progress of his book. The president wrote,
5: Dear sir, since I parted with you, September last I have never heard a line from you. We have no tidings yet of the forwardness of your printer. I hope the first part will not be delayed much longer.
0: Meriwether Lewis still hadn't begun putting the book together. He didn't bother to reply.
1: Around that same time, Lewis learned that Letitia Breckenridge had gotten married. He knew that he had no chance with her, but the news must have still hurt.
0: Lewis was still drinking a lot. He started borrowing money from Clark to buy barrels of whiskey. And by 1809, he had found another addiction, opiates. He was taking opium every night and sometimes in the mornings before he headed off to work. He said it was medicine that helped with his bouts of malaria.
1: The man who once tamed the wilds of the Western Territory now struggled to hold his life together. In the summer of 1809, everything fell apart for good.
0: August 18, 1809 was Meriwether Lewis's 35th birthday. It was also the day he received a letter that would change his life forever.
1: It was from the Secretary of War. Since he'd returned back East, Lewis had been spending the government's money without authorization. That was likely fine when Jefferson was president. But now James Madison was in charge, and he refused to pay. Lewis would no longer be able to use the U.S. Treasury as his own bank account.
0: Suddenly, Meriwether Lewis was on the hook for thousands of dollars he'd promised to people all around America. And since he still hadn't managed to write his book, he didn't have the income to pay it back.
1: So that fall, he set off to Washington, D.C. to make a final plea to the government for help. He never made it that far.
4: Man overboard! It's Captain Lewis. He must have fallen in. He didn't fall, he jumped. I watched it happen. Well, this is no place to swim. Go in after him, boys. Hurry!
0: Meriwether Lewis reportedly attempted to commit suicide twice during his trip, Both times, the people he was traveling with were able to save him. When he reached Fort Pickering in Tennessee, he was put on a 24-hour suicide watch and forced to sober up.
1: After a few days, he seemed to be getting better. But the people at the fort were still worried. So one of the men, Major James Neely, offered to escort Lewis up to Nashville and look after him along the way.
0: They set off together with a small team by the end of September. Less than two weeks later, Meriwether Lewis was dead.
1: In the early morning of October 11, 1809, Meriwether Lewis was shot twice in his room at a tavern called Grinders Inn, about 70 miles outside of Nashville. When the innkeeper, Priscilla Grinder, found him around 3 a.m., he was still alive and moaning, with a hole in his head and his chest.
0: Mrs. Grinder was the closest thing to an eyewitness to his death. According to some accounts, she told James Neely that Lewis tried to slice himself with a razor before he finally succumbed to the gunshot wounds. The 35-year-old explorer died around sunrise.
4: Take me through it again, Mrs. Grinder. It's just as I said before. He was pacing all night. I could hear his footsteps back and forth. Right as I drifted off, I heard a shot and a scream, then another shot. When I come to his room, he's standing there, all bloody, screaming for help. Help with the gunshots? Help to finish the job.
1: The way Mrs. Grinder told it, it looked like suicide, plain and simple. So that's the story that James Neely wrote to Thomas Jefferson a few days later, after burying Lewis's body near Grinder's inn.
0: But years later, on her deathbed, Mrs. Grinder would change her story completely, and the supposed suicide of Meriwether Lewis started to look a lot like murder.
1: After this, we'll explore the various murder theories and potential killers.
0: In the fall of 1809, Thomas Jefferson was still settling into his new routine in Virginia. It had only been a few months since he'd handed the presidency over to James Madison and moved out of the White House. Now he was back at Monticello full-time.
1: Jefferson was still adapting to the relatively quiet life of retirement in November when he received a letter from a man named James Neely. The former president tore the letter open and was shocked by the 1st handwritten line.
4: Sir, it is with extreme pain that I have to inform you of the death of His Excellency Meriwether Lewis, who died on the morning of the 11th, and, I am sorry to say, by suicide. I had him as decently buried as I could in that place.
0: News of Lewis's death traveled fast. When William Clark heard, he mourned the loss of his friend and co-captain, but accepted the suicide story without question. Jefferson did too. The former president had known Lewis nearly his entire life and had seen him struggle with depression, which Jefferson called hypochondriac affections for years.
1: Jefferson would later write,
5: While he lived with me in Washington, I observed at times sensible depressions of mind. At about three o'clock in the night, He did the deed which plunged his friends into affliction and deprived his country of one of her most valued citizens.
0: But not everyone was so quick to accept that narrative. Lewis's own mother reportedly believed that her son was murdered. And she wasn't the only one who shared her suspicions.
1: There was nothing close to hard evidence to back up the suicide story. James Neely may have described it that way to Jefferson... But Neely wasn't even there at the time of Lewis's death. According to his own words, he arrived sometime after the incident.
0: The closest thing to a witness was the innkeeper, Priscilla Grinder. But she said she only heard the shots. By the time she got to Lewis's room, he was already moaning in a pool of blood. Still, Grinder's report of the night did seem to confirm that Lewis was distraught and tried to kill himself. But decades
1: later, in 1839, Mrs. Grinder shared a very different version of the story. Oh. Shh, Ma. It's all right. The doctor's on his way.
4: I keep dreaming about that day with Captain Lewis, back when your father was still alive.
1: The night of his suicide? I can't imagine. It must have been awful the way he shot himself in the head and then the chest. Shot himself?
4: He didn't shoot himself. Those men shot him. Which men? The two or three men on horseback who he challenged to that duel. He was so brave. He had his pistol out, ready to go. But the men... The men... Ma? (coughs) Ma?
0: That was just the first problem with the suicide narrative. In 1848... Only a few months from the 40th anniversary of Meriwether Lewis's death, the Tennessee government sent a committee to Lewis's burial site to finally build him a proper memorial.
1: They allegedly exhumed his body to confirm that they had the correct grave, and were shocked at what they found.
5: This is the coffin, all right. I recognize the nails. This is Meriwether Lewis, or what's left of him.
4: But look at the skull.
5: (sighs) I think I've seen enough. We know it's him. Let's bury him. No, look. Lewis shot himself, right? Of course. Now let's just nail the lid back on and- how do you explain the
4: bullet hole in the back of his head?
0: Apparently, that was enough to throw the whole suicide story into doubt. When the committee erected the monument and filed the report to the state of Tennessee, they included this stunning line.
4: It seems to be more probable that Lewis died at the hands of an assassin.
1: But it wasn't until the 20th century that the idea that Lewis was actually murdered started to gain traction. As historians and researchers dug into Lewis's life and death, many began to piece together new theories.
3: He was killed in a robbery gone wrong. The Natchez Trace was
5: dangerous. He was suicidal. The syphilis had moved to his brain.
0: Uh, It's always syphilis, syphilis, syphilis with you, Ted.
5: Prove it wasn't.
0: Prove it
4: was. Clark did it. William Clark had him killed. What did you say? Sorry, I just wanted to add something to the discussion.
5: Clark was his friend.
0: He would never have.
4: I know, I know. Sorry. But it might have been syphilis.
0: Yeah. There are a few main theories that have withstood the test of time. Historian John Guise argues that thieves or bandits likely killed Lewis. Some blame Neely, who supposedly stole a few of Lewis's possessions after his death. Others think that Mrs. Grinder's husband may have played a role, and that Lewis struck up a secret romance with the innkeeper's wife. And the theories just keep getting more wild and bizarre from there.
1: Kira Gale, author of Meriwether Lewis, The Assassination of an American Hero, and The Silver Mines of Mexico, places the blame on a crooked general named James Wilkinson. According to Gale, Lewis likely stumbled on Wilkinson's corrupt land deals, and Wilkinson had him killed to protect his secrets. The
0: 1994 book, The Jefferson Conspiracies, even tries to make the case that the president himself was somehow responsible. It reads more like historical fiction than anything else.
1: But no matter how convincing or ridiculous any of these theories are, they're still only guesses. The only evidence that could actually solve the mystery is buried in Tennessee, under Meriwether Lewis's stone monument. That's why a group of Lewis's descendants are now fighting to have his remains exhumed one final time.
0: In 1996, a coroner's jury in Tennessee agreed that Lewis's body should be exhumed and examined to put an end to the 200-year-old speculation. Unfortunately for them, Lewis's grave is located on what is now a national park, and the National Park Service apparently had no intention of digging up dead bodies on federally protected land.
1: Lewis's descendants have been working to change the Park Service's mind ever since. On July 8, 2009, dozens of members of Lewis's family held a press conference in Washington, D.C., with a plan to put pressure on the Park Service.
4: Meriwether Lewis was my great-great-great-great-uncle. We share the same blood, and we're not going to stop until we get the true story of our ancestors' death.
0: The descendants hired a PR firm and launched a website. SolveTheMystery.org to help spread awareness about their cause.
1: But now, more than a decade later, the website has gone offline and the National Park Service still refuses to let anyone exhume Lewis's grave.
0: It looks like the mystery of whether the great American explorer died by his own hand or someone else's will remain buried six feet underground. And the rest of us are left to believe whatever story we want to believe.
1: After looking at all of the evidence, I think it's most likely that Lewis committed suicide. He struggled with depression throughout his life and tried to kill himself twice just days before his death. Besides, neither Clark nor Jefferson questioned that explanation at all. If Lewis's best friends believed he committed suicide, then I do too.
0: I get that. But there's just too many loose ends for me to fully accept that story. So much of that narrative is dependent on Mrs. Grinder's testimony, and she did not turn out to be a reliable witness. That doesn't prove he was murdered, but it doesn't prove it was suicide either. We may never know.
1: Ultimately, the centuries-long discussion over his death says more about us than Meriwether Lewis. It's a look at how we take control of history. Most of the murder theories feel like people grasping for easier ways to remember an American icon. But acknowledging his struggles with depression or potential suicide doesn't mean he wasn't brave or heroic. It's part of what makes him that way.
0: To truly honor Meriwether Lewis, we have to accept who he really was. An ordinary man who managed to live an extraordinary life.
1: Thanks again for tuning into Unsolved Murders. We'll be back next Tuesday with a new episode. For more information on the death of Meriwether Lewis, amongst the many sources we used, we found Undaunted Courage, Meriwether Lewis, Thomas Jefferson, and the opening of the American West by Stephen Ambrose, extremely helpful to our research.
0: You can find all episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time.
1: If we live till next time.
0: Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Isabella Way. This episode of Unsolved Murders was written by River Donahue, with writing assistance by Giles Hofseff fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Mickey Taylor. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Tom Bauer, Bill Butts, Eddie Lee, Harris Markson, Laura Faye Smith, and Jen Wong. Unsolved Murders stars Wendy McKenzie and Carter Roy. parcasters there's no better time than right now to make a meaningful connection with the spotify original from parcast blind dating every wednesday find out if there's more to love than just looks follow blind dating free on spotify or wherever you get your podcasts